In February 2004, Maura Murray emptied her bank account, drove four hours from school, crashed her car, got out, and vanished. Everyone has a theory. Was she murdered? Was it suicide? Did she run away? Join the search as an investigative reporter and former U.S. Marshal uncover new evidence, interrogate new witnesses, and trace down new leads in this riveting new investigative series. The Disappearance of Maura Murray, Saturdays at 7, 6 Central, and 9, 8 Central on Oxygen, the new network for crime. Previously on The Disappearance of Maura Murray. Since I started investigating Maura's disappearance, I've spoken with her family and friends, with podcasters, and a controversial writer. I've quickly learned over the past month that what makes this one of the most puzzling unsolved mysteries is that everyone seems to have more questions than answers. There are tons of secrets and layers, and the key to cracking her case may be in figuring out why Maura seemed to just walk out of her life. Maura is alive, and I believe she was running from the men in her life. I've read shocking allegations about Maura's father and boyfriend, both online and in a book. But I've also heard that she might have left for a different reason. And you think her sister's the key to this? Yes. That's what everyone thinks. Days before she disappeared, Maura had a mysterious call with her sister. Just got both her legs, her ankles crossed. I'm working with a specialist to determine if she is withholding anything, as many allege. I want to ask you about the last time you were with Maura. Okay. She looks to the right every time she's trying to remember something. Does Maura's sister hold the answer to unlocking her disappearance? February 6th, 2004, three days before she goes missing. Maura's at work. She gets a phone call. Maura was so upset by this phone call that she couldn't form words. The only thing she said when asked what was wrong was my sister. For the first time in over a decade, Kathleen Murray is speaking publicly. I want to know what they discussed on this phone call and see if it could have had anything to do with why Maura left. I want to just go back to that phone call. Did Before Maura went missing and when you got out of rehab, did you start drinking again? Not heavily. But you did. Yeah. She was drinking. Did you tell Maura that? Yeah. I just, I wasn't happy. Yeah. Not happy. I, I take sleep medication mm-hmm. and I could feel it starting to kick in. So that's kind of why I ended the conversation. Pills and alcohol, sleeping pills. Once I started taking that medication, you don't want to mix alcohol. The sleeping pills? Yeah. You don't want to do that. You'll never wake up, you know? You know, if my sister was telling me those things, I'd be really upset. 
I'd be worried about my sister. She loved you. She wanted you to be happy. That couldn't have been a trigger for her to, I don't know. She had, I don't know. How would you feel if the true story was something that, you know, she ran away? Would it matter or would you? I have dreams about that. And in my dreams, I get angry at her. Like, how could you put us through something like that? You know? She's genuine. Yeah. Took her a little while. But she opened up. She opened up, yeah. Yeah. She didn't seem out of the ordinary. What do you think could have happened? Maybe something to do with the boyfriend. Well, explain the scenario to me. Did he break up with her? I don't know. Bill became pretty distant. When, before or after she disappeared? Well, you never really saw much of him, you know, because he was far away. When he was around, they seemed fine. But then, after she disappeared, he kind of did too. to call her out on some things and ask her really hard questions. She's genuine, her body language, everything. I mean, it was truthful. I think we've nailed the phone call part and what she was upset about. She just got out of rehab. She started drinking again. Maura realized it, and that highly upset her. That's what I got out of it. Mm -hmm. So I think the call's important. I don't necessarily think that her sister had anything with, to do with her leaving. Right. Now what we got to figure out is why she decided, you know, to come up here. Truly. I think right. that there's a whole other story there. I agree. Let's just figure out what happened. Yeah. I agree. This mysterious call doesn't seem to hold the answer to Mora's disappearance. If Mora were running to go and help her sister after this phone call, she would have been traveling to the Boston area, where Kathleen was living at the time. But she wasn't. What's striking to me is that this is the second time a family member has raised questions about Mora's relationship with her boyfriend. Wasn't my favorite person. I don't like the fact that it's possible he was cheating on Mara. I need to talk with Bill. Did he play a role in her disappearance? Hey Bill, this is Maggie calling again. I just really would like to get your side of the story. We've been in touch with the family and we would really love if you spoke with us. When Mora went missing, Bill was stationed at Fort Sill in Oklahoma, 1,700 miles away from New Hampshire. So he was not a suspect. Hey, Bill, this is Maggie calling you again. I know you haven't really spoken much in public since Renner's book was released, but I think it would be really good to give you the opportunity to tell your side of things. But did she drive to New Hampshire to start a new life because of him? So if you could call me back, I would appreciate that. Thanks. While I'm waiting to hear back from Bill, I've rented a cabin just down the street from where Mora crashed. I want to immerse myself in the people and the area in order to dive into the theories surrounding her disappearance. What is it that you think Mora was running from and needed protection from? I think she was running from the men in her life. The men in her life. Her father, Fred, and her boyfriend, Bill. If 
can't speak with Bill, I want to speak with one of his friends. Podcasters Tim and Lance, who have been exploring Maura's case for years, have recently been in touch with a classmate of Bill's from West Point. We haven't met Bob yet. Um, we spoke to him a few times on the phone. He reached out to us in email. I mean, why do you think he reached out to you guys? Like, why, why would somebody inject themselves into this if they weren't really in it? Maybe he just feels a sense of, like, responsibility to, to help. I hope that Bob can shed some light on whether or not Mora had reason to run from Bill. Why do you think Bill hasn't come forward to defend himself? I've tried to speak with him multiple times and he won't speak with me. I would say that he probably has a lot to say, but he feels that the only thing that I can do is be dragged through the mud. It's tough. I think that Bill wants to move on with his life. Kind of stepping back from all of it is the safest option and the best option for him. I mean, I suppose at this point, if he's following any blogs or any sort of topic that's written about it, he probably sees the cesspool that happens once you respond to something. Second he comes out and says something, I mean, it's, that's it. That's the yeah. end. Like, well, yeah, and he just, I mean, his wife just had their second kid, and it's just one of those things where I got to stay out of the social media game. I don't think she was trying to run from him. She was already far enough away. I don't know what she was trying to do or where she went, but I don't think that's a viable option. Can you explain, you know, Bill's personality? I think he's a very good guy, not just because I'm friends with him, but because of his personality and his character. He worked with Fred and the Murray family to search for her and that he was there as quickly as he was speaks a lot to his character, I think. Because some people have said, you know, Bill became absent in the days afterwards. And could you just explain why that would be? I mean, absent where? From her search. Um, I don't know how long he was there, but I, I thought. I want to say he was there at least a week. Oh, that's easy. He would have been pressed with AWOL charges. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So I don't know if you've seen, but online there's a lot of allegations against Bill and that he allegedly assaulted some women. People say he was cheating on Mora. I, I cannot speak to any kind of allegations against him uh, with regard to the cheating and the assault. But that's not really the guy that I know. It's definitely not. It was good to hear from one of Bill's friends. But I also want to know what Fred thinks. Did Mora have a reason to run? What is your response to the allegation that Mora was running from Bill? I like Bill. I thought he was a good kid. There was nothing strange, different, bad, suspicious, anything that would make him disqualified as a potential son-in-law in my viewpoint. Fred might not be suspicious of Bill, but there has been a lot of suspicion about Fred. Fred could be very strict. I think she was always under pressure from one reason or another. That's a shadow over her life. In interviews and online, people talk about you pushing your daughters really hard, almost too hard with the sports and academics. Um, looking back on it, do you feel that you pushed them too hard? No, absolutely not. I was very conscious of, of not pushing them too hard. 
I coached them in sports, but they wanted to play sports. I wanted it to be fun, but then I, I could sense that they, they were naturally athletic. And when a kid's good at something, they enjoy being good at it. Some people say your family is hiding something and that you in particular are not telling the truth. People can say stuff like that, but, you know, they're just slowing us down. Well, go ahead and say it, I don't really care. I only care about finding my daughter and I care about the people trying to help me, which I'll be forever grateful. Why did you not talk to Renner for his book? Because I anticipated that it would go the way it's gone. I had a hint with his earlier book that he actually sent me. I didn't think that he'd be uh, consistently dealing with the facts. I didn't trust him. And that's understandable now that the book has come out and there have been some pretty horrific allegations in it. And I do need you to answer one of those allegations, and this is probably going to be the hardest question that I have to ask you. Did you sexually assault Maura? has come out and there have been some pretty horrific allegations. I'm interviewing Maura Murray's father. Could Maura have run away to start a new life because of him? Journalist James Renner thinks so. And on his blog, web sleuths have gone wild with this theory. I do need you to answer one of those allegations and this is probably gonna be the hardest question that I have to ask you. Did you sexually assault Maura? No. How can you even ask me that, you know? It was alleged in the book. Between the lines or something like that? Mm -hmm. Because yes. I, I didn't, I didn't pour mm -hmm. through the book. Is there anything I can do about that? You can answer the question. Well, it's a, I resent being asked that question. No, of course not. Of course not. This is my daughter. For Christ's sake, it's my daughter. Did he actually put those words in there? I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. There's no direct reference that he says, he's, he's making inferences in the book about that that incident possibly could have happened. How insidious can anything be? You, do, you put something out there and it's incumbent upon me to disprove it? You can say anything, can you say anything worse? No. no. Is there anything possible worse than you can say? There's one thing, did, and, and then you killed her. That's about the only thing worse. Is that coming? No. No. Oh, man. Now, now, now you, now. I know, but we had to ask. I resent trying to make a buck by us trying to assassinate a guy in the position that I'm in. But what I really resent is that now I have to be on the defensive and deny something. I think you've answered that pretty clearly. I believe Fred, that he never harmed Maura. And his response reminds me of why Bill hasn't spoken up. It seems like it might be smarter to be quiet when any claim can be spun into a new theory. But Maura still could have been running away. And there are more unanswered questions. Let's talk about the weekend before Maura went missing. 
You were in Amherst. Yes. How come you were in Amherst? Maura needed a car. The, the car she had, had it ceased to be uh, drivable. It would smoke something fierce. A cylinder was blown. So you took out money, cash for the car? I was in Connecticut. My bank was back up here. So I couldn't take much money from the bank. I had to get it from an ATM. And so I could only take a, a chunk at a time. And so I was getting 500 at a wallop out, but we didn't get a car that weekend. Right. Because 4,000 wasn't enough money. So what ultimately happened to that $4,000? I put it back in the bank and her account. I put money in there for her when she was missing in case she needed money. I would see that she withdrew money. That's a pretty good technique. We actually do that in a lot of cases. And, and I wanted to. She, she never, never did. No, no, no. You were looking for cars. And then what did you guys do that night? Went to um, the local brew pub uh, for supper. And uh, we uh, bumped into uh, Kate and they're going to go to some party back at school. Kate is Mara's best friend. James Renner alleges she attended a going-away party for Mora after the dinner with Fred. It was just two nights before Mora vanished. Did Kate ever mention to you what happened at the party? I asked about that, and she d doesn't have anything to tell me. I think she would talk to the father of her missing friend. And you believe Kate? Yes. Hey, Kate, this is Maggie calling again. I'd really I've reached out to Kate numerous times, but I've hit a roadblock with her each and every time. So I want to ask you specifically, what do you think about the idea that she ran away and started a new life in Canada? She didn't act the way that she that you would have if you were going to do something like that. There was no preparation. She doesn't know anybody in Canada. I mean, how would you feel if she did do that? Great. That would mean she's alive. But, but yeah, great. I would. Even if she never contacted me again, that's not realistic. That's not, that's not what happened. Where do you think she was going? And, like, why was she on 112? I don't know. If I knew, that would help. But I don't. I don't. I don't know why she went. This is a distraction. If I talk about it, it just slows everything down, brings you down a, a side street that goes to a dead end. And it's, it's, I just want to talk about what's important. What's important is what happened to my daughter and how we're going to find her. And that's all I care about. Maybe Fred is right that this is all a distraction. All of this speculation about why she was up there isn't getting me any closer to finding her. I need to figure out how she disappeared. invited podcasters Tim and Lance up to the cabin to look into what happened after Mora crashed. Good to see you. Sir, see you. how are you? 727's the first 911 call. It's Faith, Faith Westman's call. Faith Westman is in the house directly across the street. Mora likely crashed a couple of minutes before Faith's call. We've reached out, but the Westmans have refused to talk with us. And then is Butch the next person to see her? Yes. Butch Atwood arrived at the scene about three minutes later. Okay, so 7.30, Butch sees her, speaks to her. He says she doesn't seem injured, doesn't seem intoxicated. 
So that's really interesting because people say she was drinking. It so. was a question that was put to, to Atwood. Did she appear right. drunk? She said she didn't appear drunk. She seemed shook up and cold. Right. And the only evidence that she would have been drunk is an open box of wine and then the spills in her car. Right. There was a trace of alcohol found in a Diet Coke bottle in the car. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Butch sees her. He offered to call the police for her. And she said, no, I called AAA already, which he knew was not true because there's no service there. Right. If you're having a conversation with somebody on the side of the road, how long does that conversation take? Two minutes max. If Butch Atwood arrived on the scene around 7.30 and spoke to Mora for a few minutes, that would take us to about 7.32 or 7.33. And the first call from the Atwood residence is at 7.40. So that works, right? Two, three minutes at the scene, two or three minutes to get back. Butch calls 911 at 7.40, and all circuits are busy. A dispatcher calls back at 7.43 and reaches Butch's wife. She says she has, quote, no idea where the female is. Then what's next? Cecil Smith arrives at 7.46. So what happened in the meantime? Right. I mean, you've got six sets of eyes. The Marat saw her hazard lights and reverse lights on. Uh, we spoke with Tim Westman. He said it was a glow that they saw in the car. Faith Westman sees a flurry of activity at the trunk. Flurry of activity. It was reported that they apparently said there was a man in the car smoking a cigarette. Someone said it, or the dispatcher took it upon herself to write that, which doesn't seem like that makes any sense to me. I actually was a dispatcher for like five months before I was a police officer. And you take down what they tell you on the phone. And you keep a running log the whole time. This is pretty amazing. If true, this could mean someone was with Mora when she crashed. In the uh, dispatch log, the thing that sticks with you, she doesn't say, I think there's somebody smoking a cigarette. She says, a man smoking a cigarette. that they apparently said there was a man in the car smoking a cigarette. Yeah, in the, um, in the uh, dispatch log thing that sticks with you, she doesn't say, I think there's somebody smoking a cigarette. She says, a man smoking a cigarette. Was Mora traveling alone or with a man smoking a cigarette? If she was traveling with some unknown person, that individual certainly has never come forward. And that means that there's somebody else that that knows something now. There's somebody else out there that knows something now. If someone picked her up. We actually did that drive from the liquor store mm -hmm. straight up here. And there was a discrepancy. It was about an hour. Two weeks ago, Art and I drove Mora's route from UMass to New Hampshire. We did it one hour faster than she did. I mean, did she stop and eat somewhere? And that's just my question. Did she stop with somebody? Where did she stop and get gas? Did she do it together, you know? And it makes sense, and it, it seems reasonable, but it's 2017, 13 years. How is it possible? The person who picked her up has never said anything, and there's no real accounts of anybody in her life being gone at that time. Mm -hmm. Another wrench to throw in is she picked up the accident um, forms from the previous car accident with the, her dad's vehicle. Right at UMass, right. and I believe she picked those up, right, she picked those up after she left UMass. Two days before Mora went missing, she had an accident with her father's car. 
So that could attack How do you know that? Fred told the police that they had discussed picking up the um, Right, the filling out the accident forms. Right. right, and those were found in her car. Where would she pick those up from? Police station, DMV. I wonder if they had cameras. They probably did, but there's no way they would have kept surveillance footage that long if they didn't get a request earlier. So the only time frame for, for her to pick those up would have been before she went on the, the trip right. north. Um, so that could just add the extra time in there. And the Hadley Police Department is down Route 9, so that could give her about 45 minutes if the police were taking a while. Could have. So it seems to us that during the missing hour, Maura could have stopped and maybe met someone or picked up forms from the police station. If she met someone, it could be the clue that solves what happened to her after she crashed. But if she simply picked up accident forms, then the missing hour is meaningless. All four of us are going down to the crash site on Route 112, the last known place Mora was seen. So Mora's car ended up right here. The Westmans are right there. And we think that was the window that Faith was looking out when she made the phone call to 911. Butch Atwood's place is right over there, about 100 yards from here. Butch was backed in like this, get a straight view of the accident site. After Mora turned down help from Butch Atwood, he drove down the street to his house, called 911, and allegedly sat in his bus doing paperwork. Right across from there is the Marat's house. So when we were down there, we had a straight shot right to the house. You could see right to the house through the trees. So with all of these eyes on Mora's vehicle, what could have happened after the crash in such a short time frame? How many different scenarios could have happened from right here? One that she ran into the woods and died, succumbed to the elements and was savaged by an animal and her remains were not found. We're not sure how far she could have gotten without footprints being seen. Let's explore the theory that Mora fled on foot. There are only a few options. The most obvious being the road she crashed on, Route 112. Could she have gone eastbound? And traveling in that direction, Butch specifically said he did not see her go by. Or westbound. Our understanding is the police cruiser came in this direction. And then if the trooper came this way, then basically they would have had both ends covered. With eyes on both ends of the road, it's not likely Mora would get by without being spotted. But here's a wrinkle. There's questions about what Butch really saw because he changed his statements to the press a few times. So he's either an unreliable witness or he's hiding something. But verifying anything directly with Butch won't ever happen. He died in 2009. Another scenario is that she ran down Old Peter's Road. If he wanted to get away and he didn't want to contact anybody over there. This is like wilderness, yeah. creepy cabin. If she was drinking, it makes perfect sense that Mora would want to avoid the police and get away from the scene as fast as possible. What kind of state of mind is somebody in if they're running away from an accident because they might get 
a DUI, right? Well, she got a DUI. Would she have had a criminal record? Yes. Yeah. She probably couldn't finish up her nursing school. Right. We're here with light out. I can't imagine running up here, coming up this road in pitch black. Absolute pitch black. You're running from something dangerous in order to run into something that dangerous. seems dangerous. If Maura didn't run into the woods, maybe she got into a car to avoid the police. But how likely would that have been on this rural road? It's 7.27 p.m. exactly. One. The same day of the week as the crash. Same time of the first 911 call. Two. I'm out here, counting cars. How many potential offers of help are going to pass me by until 7.46, the time police showed up on scene? Car number three. Only three cars in the roughly 20 minutes Mora could have been out here. She didn't seem to have many vehicle options, and the chance that a killer was driving by seems small. There's also an account of another person at the scene smoking a cigarette. I wonder if it is possible that someone she knew picked her up, someone she traveled with in tandem. But where would they be going? Could James Renner's theory be correct? Did Maura run away and intentionally vanish? In February 2004, Maura Murray emptied her bank account, drove four hours from school, crashed her car, got out, and vanished. Everyone has a theory. Was she murdered? Was it a suicide? Did she run away? Join the search as an investigative reporter and former U.S. Marshal uncover new evidence, interrogate new witnesses, and trace down new leads with the help of two very handsome podcasters in this riveting new investigative series. The Disappearance of Maura Murray, Saturdays at 7, 6 Central, and 9, 8 Central on Oxygen, the new network for crime. There's an interesting lead that helps support James Renner's theory that Maura drove up to New Hampshire in tandem with a friend. How does it fit in? Do you guys know about this sighting? Um, it was at Butson's Grocery. A woman who worked at Butson's Grocery Store in Haverhill believes she rang up Maura and two other women about the same age. They were buying some liquor and that happened about a half an hour before the accident. Right, it, it very neatly fits into her leaving with somebody else in tandem, friends who are taking her to a new life. It, that, it fits that scenario really well. So I called Butson's to see um, if anyone was still working there from back then, that the woman that spoke to Renner doesn't anymore. She hasn't worked there for quite some time. Renner gave me their full conversation. She doesn't want her name out there. She doesn't want to be contacted by anybody because she knows about the internet trolling. I think the thing the woman remembered was that they were out-of-state IDs, which would be kind of unusual for that area. I mean, it's a pretty remote area. Uh, it doesn't really strike me as so uncommon, though. It's big ski season up there, too. Up in this area, you know, it's not, it's not uncommon to see a brunette with dimples. You can, you can go anywhere right now and, and find probably a dozen 
young women who look just like Mora. So uh, to narrow all of that down and to, to put somebody in the store at that time seems pretty likely. Someone who looked like Mora, just with the amount of people that had that look. But it, it, you have to ask the question, where did she go after that then? Why, why weren't there any, any other sightings after that? Also, how much alcohol does she need? I mean, she stopped at the at the liquor store in Amherst, and then... Right, the ATM, the yeah. liquor store, and then then meets up in tandem with two friends, and then they go to the liquor store again. Right. Again, what happened after? What if what happened after is that Mora and her friends crossed the border into Canada? She gets in her car accident around 7.30 that night. She could have been up into Canada within a few hours. She was going to get to Canada that night. How would she do it? Somebody had to pick her up. So it looks like on this map alone, there's six, seven, eight, nine, ten border crossing. Eleven just in her immediate area, and then there's 12 over here if she wanted to go up that way. It was easier to cross the border in 2004 than it is now. There would have been very little paperwork that was needed other than a driver's license. So we know Mora only took out $280 from her bank account. I mean, she virtually drained it. Is there any way that she could keep going with that amount of money? She would have to possibly get a job or steal it. The bottom line is she's a 21-year-old young female college student. You're not going to go far with $280 or less than $280. It's true Mora had very few resources, so it would have been difficult for her to go far. But I still wonder about the woman in Canada who says she saw Mora. James Renner told me about a record store clerk he met a few years ago. We took a trip up to Canada, went to this record store, and there's this woman and she said, I've definitely seen that woman. She came in, she spoke with an American accent, very athletic, and I'm sure that was 100%. I want to investigate this record store lead. It's a few years old, so Arts reached out to a leading forensic artist to do an age progression of Mora. He used photos of Mora's parents and siblings from their early 30s as a reference. Mora would have been around 31 when she allegedly walked into the record store. I found the clerk James met with in Quebec. Her name is Roxanne. Roxanne doesn't speak English, so her friend is translating. So Roxanne remembers the event because it wasn't started winter. There was there was already snow outside, and uh, she had arrived uh, on a bicycle. She had spent quite a, a lot of time outside the shop, looking from the outside, looking inside, you know, like checking out everything. And she seemed to be examining things. Roxanne was wondering if she was looking for cameras. Roxanne doesn't have cameras in her shop. Yeah, her arrival was a little odd to Roxanne. When she did finally come in, she went up to the counter, started talking to Roxanne. Uh, and she asked her where she could see some live music. And she was very specific. She wanted to go to very small venues with not a lot of people around. She was wearing a one-piece kind of jumpsuit, but, you know, for winter, was purple. She was wearing a, a hat and no makeup and very, very expressive. 
Her face, her facial expressions were very, very emotive. The woman you saw didn't speak any French, did she? She didn't have to speak English because Roxanne had her friend Richard who speaks English. Hmm. Did she purchase anything? No. She wasn't interested by the records at all. That's pretty much where it ended. When Roxanne identified Mora to James Renner, it was from a picture of Mora from right before she went missing. I want to see if she can identify Mora with this new image. So we're going to send over four photos, and if one of them looks like the woman you saw, you can identify her. Four pictures total. One of Mora and three of random women. A virtual lineup. I want to see if Roxanne can pick the right person. Basically, what Roxanne says is the eyes, the, the skin tone, the everything on the face. And if one of them looks like the woman you saw, you can identify her. So we'll go from there. We're talking with Roxanne, a record store clerk in Canada, who claims to have seen Mora a few years back. Okay. Basically, what Roxanne says is the eyes, the, the skin tone, everything on the face doesn't correspond. And if someone had brought her one of those four photographs back then and said, do you recognize any of these? She said, no, I don't know who any of these people are. It turns out that Roxanne might be remembering an encounter with someone other than Mora. But that doesn't mean she's not in Canada. I want to go back to the question. If she wanted to start a new life, how far could Mora have gone with such few resources? Writer Elizabeth Greenwood would know. She recently wrote a book investigating how people faked their own deaths and purposely disappeared. What kinds of resources do you have to have to successfully disappear or fake your own death? Mm -hmm. People who are successful in disappearing typically have a lot of money and resources where you can buy the most high-end documents, or it's people who have no resources where there's less of a trail for investigators to follow. Is this something that you could just do kind of on a whim, or do you really have to plan this? To pull off a successful disappearance where you are going to obtain another identity, whether legally or illegally, takes years. She was in the White Mountains of New Hampshire, and there's been talk of her actually going to Canada and starting a new life there. Mm -hmm. Typically, um, people who did take up second lives in another country had some kind of connection to that country to begin with. So now Mora has become really like this internet sensation. Mm -hmm. At this point, how difficult would it be for her to stay hidden now mm. that she is really so, so famous? I think it would be very tough. The reason why most people who do try to disappear get caught isn't because something happens like their image is captured on closed circuit TV. It's almost always because they cannot cut ties with their old lives. Mora's mother was really sick with cancer when Mora disappeared. And she died on Mora's birthday five years after Mora went missing. 
You know, how hard would it have been for this 21-year-old girl, in your eyes, like not to come back for her mother's funeral or even talk to her sick mother? In my research, something like cancer, a major loss, a major trauma to the family, you would think would supersede any kind of logistics or grudges that you may have. So especially at such a young age, that seems really impossible to not come back home for mom. So from everything you've told me, in my opinion, I would have to say it's very unlikely that she staged her own disappearance. So with no connection to Canada, just under $280, a mother who was sick, sightings that aren't panning out, and almost no planning that we know of, the likelihood that Maura started a new life doesn't seem that possible. The pieces aren't coming together. I also can't corroborate any evidence that she was running from the men in her life. So it seems she lacked a motive. So where did Mora go after she crashed? What happened on this road? The most logical person to speak with would be Cecil Smith, the first responding officer. Art and I have reached out to the police to request an interview, but they have not given us permission. In the meantime, there was someone else there that evening. You were one of the first responders on we the were. scene? Yeah. EMT Dick Guy arrived on scene at 7.56 p.m. We were dispatched to that call. We drove out. There's a car that apparently impacted a tree, and it had spun around such that it was facing the opposite direction. We drove around it and parked. There was nobody at the site of the accident. It's not terribly unusual to have a car with nobody there. If somebody's driving impaired, sometimes they don't really want to interact with the police. How much damage was there to the car? Not terribly extensive. There was nothing to indicate anybody was hurt. Was anything about the scene unusual to you? Yes. I walked up and down the snowbanks a little ways, and my partner says, what's with the rag in the exhaust pipe? I'm like, wow, what is that? I walked up and down the snowbanks a little ways, and my partner says, what's with the rag in the exhaust pipe? I'm like, wow, what is that? We're talking with Dick Guy, one of the first responders to Mora's accident scene. It was like a dish towel. That kind of was a head scratcher, because you don't see that. Can you explain to me how it was in the tailpipe? It, it looked like it was, it was stuffed in, and it was hanging out eight inches, 10 inches or so, not quite to the ground. And it really seemed odd. It made no sense. Have you ever arrived at an accident scene and seen a rag in a tailpipe? No, never. So why would anybody put a rag in a tailpipe? I wondered if she might have stopped at the little store um, maybe half a mile before and somebody had sabotaged her car trying to make it stop. If Maura's car were sabotaged, it would have been easy for the culprit to trail a short distance behind and pretend to lend a helping hand. 
That's a pretty remote part of the world. Cell phones don't work at all. It's a part of the world where ordinarily if somebody gets an accident, they might have gotten or taken a ride with somebody. Do you ever hear things around town, like rumors or people talking about it? Absolutely. What do you There's lots of theories, and, and, and some of them portend to be based on fact. There was a story about some young men who worked at the ski area over in Loon that lived and would have driven by that site on the way to work that didn't show up for work that night. The Loon Mountain Ski Area sits on Route 112, 20 miles east of Mora's crash site. Did the so-called Loon Mountain 3 see Mora at a gas station and then sabotage her car? Sticking a rag in the tailpipe? I've read about this theory on blogs, but hearing that it's also a story that circulates locally makes me think there could be more to it. That's the one that sticks in my mind as being the worst possible scenario to me, is that somebody would have abducted her, taken advantage of her, done something bad. For more on this case, visit Oxygen.com. On February 9th, 2004, Maura Murray nearly emptied her bank account, drove four hours from school, crashed her car, got out, and disappeared. Everyone has a theory. Some people think she was murdered. Some people think she committed suicide. Others think she ran away. What do you think? And there's a new search. As an investigative reporter, a former U.S. Marshal, two wildly popular podcasters uncovered the evidence, interrogate witnesses, and track down new leads in this riveting new investigative series, The Disappearance of Moore Murray. Saturdays at 7, 6 central and 9, 8 central on Oxygen, the new network for crime.